And they said, oh, it's 1-0 Blues. What the header that is. Christian Pedersen with a bullet header. It's then floated towards the back post. Jukovic in there, Jukovic. Oh, what a header. This man is on red hot form at St Andrews at the moment. And it goes again towards the towering Zigic. Oh, confusion at Martin! And surely scored the winning goal for Birmingham City! Hello and welcome to the Blues Talk podcast with Dale Moon and myself, Callum Denning. A hectic podcast this week. Looking back on the visit to Stoke City as well as Rotherham United's trip to St Andrews and previewing the season proper. It's all ramping up in a couple of weeks' time after the international break. But before all of that, we are joined by the man himself, the head coach, the new face here at the Trillion Trophy Training Centre, Ator Karanka, is the guest this week on Blues Talk. The Blues Talk podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. Right, Dale, we're here at the Trillion Trophy Training Centre. We've had, I mean... I'm not sure how to describe the past two fixtures. They've been a slight gear shift, but we're still unbeaten, which is the main thing to take from them. Yep, I think uh, it had all the hallmarks of an Ator Karanka start to a season. Unbeaten, only one goal conceded from open play. We've been miles away from what we were at the end of last season. Defensively very solid, and it's a good platform for us to build off. He's navigated the first portion of the season up to the international break really well. Um, with the exception of one half, that first half against Rotherham, I think he'll be pleased with how his players have performed, and we could be sitting here. In, in, we could be sitting here on more than eight plus points, so I think he'll be pleased so far. Well, this is it. I mean, before we look back at the games in depth, I think the big thing that I mean, we can already see a marked difference last season, can't we? The fact that we've got that defensive resilience. Um, we've conceded what once from open play, and that was one of the luckiest goals mm. you're going to see all season from Stoke City. But we'll relive that in just a moment. Um, yeah, it's completely different to last season at Chalk and Cheese. Yeah, we'd look at, I mean, we've mentioned it a few times. When you conceded an average of three goals at home as we were post-lockdown, um, something had to change. And George Friends dropped in there at left-sided centre-half. Uh, Neil Etheridge brings that air and that presence as a, an experienced goalkeeper. And then screened by, I think he's, he's gone with Clayton and Sunjic has anymore. The enforcers. Yeah, you know, you look at that back four with those two in front, gives you a great platform and all they do is is they know their roles. Um, they clearly drill um, shape and structure and discipline out of possession. You could see, especially playing against the three, we've had it in, in the first four fixtures, we played against the back three or back five twice, um, Swansea and Stoke. And already the, you can see the gaffer's tactical intelligence as to know how to play against different systems to negate their threats. And we've struggled with that in the past. So I think his priority has been to come in to sort that back line out. And then over the course of a season, how do we then strike the balance right between posing a, a bigger threat ourselves at the other end of the pitch. Well, let's not make a mistake here. We have seen glimpses of that already. I mean, I think back to Stoke and Ivan Sanchez, that little mazy run and uh, delicate touches that he showed at the Bet365. We do have that ability going forward now as well. Yeah, I think he likes... I mean, if you like, we've mentioned the back six almost, mm. the, the back four and the two screening midfielders, but then it's up to those three and the lone striker to do a bit of magic. And Ivan Sanchez, you mentioned, I mean, as a player who's come in, <clears throat> you can tell he's a 28-year-old experienced professional. He's not a young lad that's come across from La Liga and he's got to prove himself. He looks so confident and comfortable. He's really impressed me how quickly he's settled into life in English football and at the club. He never looks rushed. 
I mean, he has two players around him. There's nowhere to go. It's a tight space to manipulate the ball out and find a blue shirt or a green shirt, as it was against Stoke. Um, in that little spell that you mentioned, the second half, I mean, he's deep inside the Blues half, reluctant just to punt it clear. That's the, mm -hmm. the Spanish upbringing in him. And he's been a real shining light the first four games. Jeremy Beller on the other side, two goals already for him this season. So his confidence is up. Uh, John Torral in the middle of the park showed some real good glimpses and, and looking up, linking up with Lukas Jukovic. Luking up. You just coined a phrase there, looking up. With, um, with Juki up front, and we know what he offers us, big presence. He's always going to run himself into the ground, gets beaten black and blue, but I think he's looking for those front four then. To, can they create the magic? So Blues will always be in games this season, and I don't want to you know, tempt fate by Knock saying... Knock on wood. It. Yeah, I don't see us being you know, done by an hour and out of the opposition being out of sight, I feel like we'll be in games a lot more than we were last season. So then can we go and nick them? Can we turn that one point into three? And I think that's probably the next step in the, in the team's progression. The key word here that, I mean, I know I said it a lot last time. I'm going to say it again now, resilience. I mean, you look back to that Rotherham game and Harley Dean said it as well in his post-match on Blues TV. We'd have lost that last year. Going 1-0 down with so little left in the game. And then to come back, get the penalty equalised and then still look like winning it. Yeah, I feel like that's um, the the benefit of having a bunch of players here who weren't scarred by last season. You look at the players that have come in, Terrell, Sanchez, um, Clayton, Friend, Effridge. We, they go behind at their former clubs or in their career and the reaction and response is always to pick yourself up and to go and go again. They aren't scarred by what happened before and I think the gaffer's keen on not using last season as too much of a reference point. We do it here and supporters mm -hmm. will do it because we experienced it. But for him, day one was the minute he walked through the door two and a bit months ago and whatever happened before had gone. So I think the benefit of adding 10 new faces to a squad means that their response to going from behind to disappointment is not the same as what we experienced last season. Even for the faces who were here last season, I mean, it is a clean slate, isn't it? That, we heard Harley in, in episode one of this season, didn't mm -hmm. we? I mean, he said from day one, they had to shrug off any of the remnants of last season. He feels they have done that. The Gaffer's brought a breath of fresh air in, his own staff, his own players. And so, like you say, for those that were here, it's right, we need to impress again. A manager clearly knows what he's doing, vastly experienced as a player and manager, has a real air of authority about him. We keep talking about it and I can't, it's an intangible really, but you share a room with him or you share a press conference with him and you really do get the impression he's a, he's a manager who, who commands respect, who knows what he's doing and I think it's, um, yeah, it's a good position to hold when you're a head coach of a, of a club like Blues. Well, he's a man who likes to have a variety of systems to hand. He said about changing mid-match, let alone on a match-by-match -match basis. Uh, changed it up for Rotherham, mm -hmm. uh, brought Scott Hogan in to partner Lukas Jukovic up front, bringing that old partnership back. Um, it was a difficult first half, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, they, he, by his own admission afterwards, and I think it was said in the dressing room, he felt he, we wasted a half. I liked Harley's, he gave us a glimpse, a window into his thinking actually after the game. He said, we were so geared up to dealing with the physical threat that, that Rotherham were going to pose, we probably negated our threat. And I think you could see that in the first half performance. They knew Rotherham were going to be big, horrible, ugly and direct. So in their mind going into the game, they're like, how do we deal with that? Rather than, we're the home team here now, this is a new season, we've started off well with good results against Brentford and Swansea, let's take the game to them. Half-time, obviously, the gaffer gets a chance to get into them. And then the second half's much better. We start the second half particularly well. We start pushing forward, committing men forward, creating chances. Um, and then in a rare... I mean, I can't remember Rotherham coming out of their half no. in that second period 
Well, I was going to say, Neil Average didn't get his jersey dirty. No, and then um, obviously Jeremy Bella is doing the right thing in tracking his man, finds himself in, in our own box, and it's just a clip of the heels, isn't it? And then you think, we've got absolutely done here at home. Um, and you're staring down the barrel of defeat, but as we said before, the reaction's different now. And uh, credit to Jeremy for getting up. I mean, he obviously takes the, the resulting penalty down the other end. John Terrell takes a, a tumble. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of character. And I thought, again, another point of Karanka's management is he chooses the penalty taker for all of our games. So yeah. there's no confusion. There's no debates. You often see clubs, don't you, players fighting for Arguing, the ball. Arguing, yeah, over the spot. It gets rid of that problem altogether. Again, just a good bit of management um, from the gaffer. And yeah, it just so happens that the player who conceded a penalty has to then have the nerve to convert it down the other end. And um, you could see the relief in his celebration. And I think he then has a chance to go and win Nearly it. Nearly wins it, yeah. I mean, it comes at him a bit fast, doesn't it? Yeah, he gets caught between two minds. In, when you watch it back, it's one long ball from Efridge. Yep. Uh, Bella races onto it. He, can, uh, he obviously sees in the corner of his eye the goalkeeper's advancing. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're going to lift it, you need to really lift it um, or drill it underneath. And if he keeps it low, I think he scores. Uh, he made his mind up to try and lift it and then doesn't get anywhere yeah. near enough purchase. It's quite comfortable for mm -hmm. Jamal Blackman then just to prod it to his right-hand side, left-hand side. But um, that was a big chance and it would have been brilliant then to to have kicked on and, and picked up a, a home win to back the Brentford one up. But um, well, as it was, it's another point. On the yeah, field. you talk about mental character though. I mean, to even create a chance after going, I mean, what minute was it Rotherham scored? 86 minute, minute. Yeah. yeah. So the mental character won to equalise and then as I've said, to create chances yeah. after that to go on to win the game. Again, chalk and cheese from last season. Yeah, bodes well. A bit of, like you say, mental resilience. Belief there as well. I mean, we spoke to the gaffer about belief in um, belief in each other in as, as a team. And he said, you know, it comes organically over time. When this group spend more time together, the belief naturally comes back. And he said, as a, manage, as a, as a head coach or as a manager, um, I asked him whether you could actually, can you put that belief into your players? And I think that comes with, re with results. I think this bunch of players will see that what the gaffer's asking them to do is working. Naturally, then they start to believe in the manager more and that positive cycle starts to churn. The snowball effect happens. And, um, and I think we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, this international break comes at a time now where you can take stock, look at what's worked, what hasn't, get a few injured players closer to fitness, goes through all squads. And then, as you've mentioned in uh, at the top of the programme, the season really starts then. And he spoke about it, didn't he, in his pre-Stoke press conference, the head coach, about having a little almost mini pre-season now over the international break with this fixture calendar being as bizarre as it is. Yeah, I mean, he loves, what, so one weekend, two full weeks before we host Sheffield Wednesday. So I think the players had a couple of days after um, after the Stoke fixture just to um, just to put their legs up and then it was time to get back to work. They've been in this week, uh, put some hard work into them, I, I presume, this week in the first half of the international break and then it'll all be a normal week's preparation up to Sheffield Wednesday. So he's aware of the manager. I mean, that's why he's built the squad that he's built. Uh, five games in 14 days when we come back. It's a compressed season, 15 midweek games this year. Uh, it's going to test squads um, of all sizes, you need to make sure you've got the experience in there. Uh, and I think that's why we're 10 bodies plus. You still now got the challenge of trying to get some faces out the door. I mean, before we come on, Stoke, that huge strength in depth is almost a welcome sight, isn't it? Last after, the, uh, after the tail end of last season, rather. There we go, get my words up. Yeah, when you look at the bench, and it's no, I'm not discrediting the ability of any of the young lads that have Absolutely found themselves not. in no, the no, first no. team squad, but at the same time, 
we were in a, we were in the midst of a relegation battle and you want to look to your bench and as we've been able to do bring on a Scott Hogan a Gary Gardner players that can come in and have the experience there and can shoulder the expectation and everything that comes with with uh, with championship survival as it was last season now um by bringing in, I think the average age of our signings have been 27. Mm-hmm. So clearly he felt that this squad needed some experience in there. That's what he's brought in. And hopefully over the course of the next seven, eight, nine months, however long however long we've got left of the season, um, you'll start to see some of that experience. You know, you talk about game management when you're ahead, we've been behind. Um, I think Clayton and Friend in particular have mm-hmm. brought a lot of that. Neil Lethbridge has it in abundance to go with Harley Dean, Lucas Jukovic, Maxim Collin. Uh, we said it before, I feel like we're a team of men this year and hopefully that bodes us well through what's going to be a, a crazy winter. I mean, some of the faces we get to see as well, Mikel San Jose, the wealth of experience that he brings. Yeah, yeah, we haven't even mentioned him. Have we? He's still getting up to fitness and doing his work on the training pitch. He's joined the group. Still got to get sharp, but like you mentioned, a 31-year-old who spent 10 years in La Liga. Mm-hmm. Don't need more experience than that. Right, Stoke, the boys in, well, green. Uh, third kit unveiled on Blue CV pre-match. Uh, interesting one, wasn't it? I mean, first half again, it was similar to Rotherham. We created a bit more, but first half was almost, I mean, it flew by. Yeah, first 10 minutes were really good. I thought we started the game on the front foot. As the away team, I thought we shocked Stoke a little bit. Started popping it around, and I thought, we are, we turned up. Mm. And then credit to Stoke, who've got a good squad. Um, they started to grow into it, got hold of it, used their three centre-halves who were stepping in and making it life difficult. thought they were having some success down our right-hand side in the first half. Um, started to ask questions of our back line then. Uh, I think Gregory should score on the stroke of half-time. It's a header where he collides with the post, a very last mm-hmm. piece of action, but... I'm not sure, I don't know, whether he's Fletcher not brave enough, whether he's just well. worried. Mm. I think that's the big chance. The Fletcher one's obviously a well-executed free kick, cannons off the bar. So I think they'll felt they should have been ahead at the break after a good 10 minutes from us. But then um, second half was much more of a contest. I felt that we really came out and it looked like it was going to be a perfect away day performance, a set piece. Ivan Sanchez's deliveries have been spot on. Um, one of a left foot. And even... When he plays out on that right-hand side, I think defenders know what he's going to do, but you still can't stop it. And uh, he really turned up against Stoke, provides the, the cross from the corner, and up gets Harley Dean. What a header, with, by the way. Well, absolutely. Um, it's not simple. He's still marked. He's not got a lot of separation between himself and his marker, but manages to absolutely power one into the uh, into the top corner. And then you think, right, let's have, um, let's have a big 20, 25 minutes here because it could be a fantastic result. But... Sadly, the one time they get down the side of us, it, it results in a goal. Yeah, I mean, you could say an inspired sub by Michael O'Neill, getting Nick Powell on the pitch, but I mean, it, it like I said earlier, it's going to be one of the flukiest goals you see all season. Th- I think it? it's Campbell that sets it up as well, so it's yeah. both of the subs, yeah, both that the subs. Aren't, uh, played a part in the goal. Uh, yeah, really annoying when you look back at it. They play down the side, don't they? Down our left hand side, hit the byline, and then naturally all of our back line have dropped into the six yard box, and the cutback is just as such that. Powell peels off, allowed a shot. And even then, credit to the lads, they throw their bodies in the way. Mm-hmm. They get, they actually make the block. And it squirms, I think I tweeted, a spawny, horrible, squirmy, just deflection, I think, off Harley. And then, obviously, Efridge's weight's going one way. Can't get back in time. And, mm-hmm. and it ends in the bottom corner. And um, it felt like a real kick in the twig and giggle berries. That's uh, a new one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, it felt like a hammer blow because... You put so much work in, you get yourself ahead and then it's undone. But I like to think over the course of the season, a point away at Stoke, who I think will be decent. 
And you look at the, you take all four fixtures um, in isolation, Swansea, mm-hmm. Brentford and Stoke, three tough out tough fixtures out there. They're the all going to be up there, yes. without a doubt. So to come through it, navigate that first portion, unbeaten is good, positive. I mean, you, you implied it there, but it, it almost sounds defeatist, but you'd have taken a point, wouldn't you, before going to Stoke, without a doubt. Yeah. When it's you just the manner of it. Yeah, that's it. I think whenever you go away, don't you, you're offered a point at most of the teams in the championship, you probably take it. Um, especially a team like ours in transition still. Uh, Stoke will look to build on. I mean, they finished the season under under O'Neill particularly well, so mm-hmm. they'll be hoping they can they can challenge this year. Um, I think the gaffer said, you know, they've got Premier League players still. You look at some of the players they could they could bring on, uh, good players who have been at a top level. John so. Obi McCall's playing in that side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's going on? Yeah, you know, it's uh, Fletcher's obviously yeah. played played at a good level. Powell's been at Man United. McLean comes on. He's played in the Premier League. There's some, you know, some good players still there at Stoke. So, uh, good point on the road. Keeps that unbeaten start, which is good. It's something to to hold on to and to to build from. Hopefully, the luck will even itself out. That's the main thing. Yeah, I don't mind. I'll take a spawny squirmy. Any goal. day of the Absolutely. week, any day. Right. Well, the fixture list does not ease up anytime soon. But we'll look at the fixtures coming up soon. But I think it's time for a bit of a momentous moment here on the uh, Blue Talk podcast as we welcome our special guest for this week. The gaffer himself, Aitor Karanka. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken about this, haven't we, since the start of the mm. season. It'd be, be great to get him on. I think it was important to give him a few weeks. I mean, what's he been two months now since Yeah, we joined. don't want to doorstep him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's important he got his feet under the table and football was the priority. It still has to be. But now, obviously, with an international break, we found a little bit of time where... Yeah, we can put some questions to him, and uh, I mean, what a what a what a career as both a player and a manager. But as I mean, as a player to to play where he's been, have the career he's had. Um, there's so much. That I'm sure this podcast could last three, four hours, and he'd be able to reel off stories. Just a few story. Champions Leagues. Yeah, if he'd be able to name drop. I mean, looking at some of the players he's played alongside the, the Real Madrid team are literally a who's who of world stars. So. Can we go back to when he launched his Instagram, the gaffer, the people who were giving him a shout out on Instagram stories? Oh, I didn't notice. I mean, this we had Figo, Roberto, Carlos. <laughs> you talk about who's who. They're all just there going, go and follow Ator Carranca uh, on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, that's some pull. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, what a career. And uh, you still have to pinch yourself, really, as to what he's doing. To have him as, as our manager now is uh, a big privilege. So good to finally get a chance to sit down with him. Right, enough of us. Let's have a listen to the man himself, the head coach, Aitor Karanka, on the Blues Talk podcast. The Blues Talk podcast. Well, we are inside the head coach's office here at the Trillion Trophy Training Centre. None other than the, uh, the main man himself, Aitor Karanka. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Um, we're in the midst of an international break. You're now two months in the job. Are you pleased with this decision to step back into the crazy, stressful, uh, wonderful world of football management? Hi, hello, and, and thank you uh, for for everything. And uh, yes, I'm really pleased because uh, you know when you have been out of the game for 19 months and uh, you come back, you come back, uh, you are really, really excited. And uh, every single thing that the, the CEO told me. To, to convince me to to come here is happening so i think uh, we are in a in a good place and i think the best play, the best uh, uh, the best example or the best uh, reflection is how the team is on the on the table and especially on the on the pitch mm-hmm. um off the pitch how have you settled into obviously it's a big change for anybody you move cities obviously you're familiar with england but how have you settled into the area and, and the people as well how's your welcome be 
Very good. Uh, you know, I stepped the the COVID situation, which is uh, bad for for everybody. But I think is uh, is now the the times that we have to to live and we have to to use to to know. But uh, we are good. I think uh, the the club uh, is committed. Uh, you know, not just on the on the pitch because of the pitch uh, we have uh, had a lot of. Testers and uh, everybody is uh, is clean, which means that uh, everybody knows how important uh, to be at home is uh, in this uh, period. So I think is a a good time for for everybody. I've settled in really well because everybody has been really helpful. And again, when uh, the things are going well on the pitch, is is easier. <laughs> Absolutely, um, Kawa. I know we were talking a little earlier about. The fact that we look a lot more solid defensively than mm. we than we had done. I know you're keen to not keep referring back to last season because it's a it's a new start for everybody. But was that your priority when you first joined the football club to make sure that first of all we have a platform to build from? You know, it's one goal conceded in open play so far this this season, and it, it's a good platform for us to then build from. Yes, I think uh, it's normal no in uh, in spain we say that the, to build something you need to start from the foundations and uh, you know and especially uh, the the foundations here were the um, not the mentality it was the how the the players or the atmosphere was uh, at the beginning because the the best example again was the the cambridge game when we considered that goal and you know after 10 minutes playing against a league two side we were lost and i could feel at the half time that we had lost that uh, that game and one month later uh, we're in a in a good position uh, we are coming back uh, from uh, games like uh, to uh, rodrum when uh, we considered penalty and we came back and we had another chance to to win so at the beginning i wanted to change that uh, that environment, that uh, mentality, and uh, I think uh, we have done really well. And then when you are more confident and uh, you are working really well and you are uh, working defensively, defensively uh, offensively, and then we are uh, not conceding many goals and you can see a, a committed team on the, on the pitch, it's, it's easier. I think we spoke about that earlier, didn't we? We said, like... Obviously, being around the training ground and, of course, on the pitch, you can see already how that mentality's changed just yeah. in a few short weeks. Yeah, absolutely. How important was it for you, Gaffer, to be able to bring your own players in? Because you, you've got your tried and trusted. The average age of the, the, the 10 players we brought in is 27. So was experience an area that you felt we needed to add? Yes, because it's about the quality, it's about the experience. And, you know, players who I brought, like uh, George or... Um, or Adam Clayton, you know, they we've known each other for uh, six, seven years. We got promotion with Middlesbrough, which is I think important to to know or just to to leave that uh, that promotion. We have players like uh, Neil Etheridge who had got promotion. Ivan Sanchez last mo last uh, summer got promotion with uh, with Elche. So I think to to have those players with that uh, experience is is important. And then when you add the players who were here with their quality and now doing uh, a good level his uh, their their job is uh, I think is good for everybody mm. you reference promotion quite often in in the players and what they've gone through what does it take as a manager who's been promoted from this level to take a team uh, up to the the Premier League I think it's the aim of uh, everybody I think uh, I, I think no I said always that they made a 
a big mistake when I arrived to to Middlesbrough in the first press <laughs> conference. I said that uh, I was I had arrived there to to get promotion, and uh, you know I I didn't say here the the same because <laughs> no, make, I no, don't make the yeah, same mistake twice. Yeah, I knew that it was a a big mistake, but that mistake uh, gave me encouragement mm -hmm. because yep. uh, you know that club deserved to be in, in Premier League, and I am feeling the the same here. So I said before the everybody here every department is uh, been really helpful for for me for the for the team for the club and you know it's impossible to to achieve something if you don't think about that so it's impossible to to win a player of the month award if you are not thinking about winning it it's not impo it's impossible to to win a money of the month award if you are not uh, desiring that award and uh, to win those trophies means that uh, you are doing the, the right job and again if uh, you think that you can uh, get promotion at least you are going to fight for uh, for that promotion at the end we will see if we can do it or not but at least you you will try yeah clearly it adds to the pressure when you say i'm coming here for promotion <laughs> do you work better under pressure do you thrive under pressure or do you not do you not think about it I think pressure in football is uh, normal mm -hmm. because if you don't want to leave that pressure, it's better to be at home. Mm -hmm. uh, so since I've been 15 years old, since I went to Atleti Bilbao, I felt that pressure. But the pressure starts on myself mm -hmm. because uh, the pressure is to, to try to be better uh, every day. Because if you are not improving, it's improving to it's impossible to... If you are not improving as a person or as a coach, it's impossible to improve your staff. It's impossible to improve your uh, your um, your players, your your club. Because again, uh, the day that you go home thinking that uh, I know everything or I am the best, uh, that day you are dead. Because uh, again, you need to to improve. You you need to to learn. Because uh, especially in this league, when you have games every two three days, it's it's impossible to to stop. Yeah, absolutely. What does an an Ito Karanka side look like? If someone was to say to you, this is the hallmarks, these are the characteristics of an Aitor Karanka team, what would your answer be? I think it's like an organised team. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to say that the, for me, I like to, to watch games with the teams which their uh, style is the, the character of the coach. And I think uh, I like to be organized. I like to be committed. So I like eleven players on the on the pitch, but another seven on the bench committed with the with the teammates. And uh, you know, when you are organized on the on the pitch, when you have the ball, it's easier to to score goals when you have that quality. And when you don't have the ball, it's easier to defend because you are organized. And then when you are committed, you can be more organized. And now we are. Uh, really organized, really committed, so we are not uh, conceding goals and uh, playing in this organization, uh, improving in the training session and uh, adding more more quality and more uh, more work uh, in terms of uh, physical terms, so I think we, we will improve for sure uh, playing offensively. Yeah, definitely. Um we're into the obviously in, in the middle of an international break now. When we come back, it's it's five games in two weeks. Is this where the depth of that squad really gets tested? Is that why you've built a squad? We've had 10 new faces come in. Important that it's not just your starting 11 now because the games are going to come thick and fast. The weather's going to change. The pitches get a little heavier. Is this where it really you find out a lot about your team? Yes, and uh, the main thing is that they have to... To know and uh, obviously I hope they they know that everybody is going to be important because uh, it's impossible to to achieve something in this league just with uh, 13, 14 or uh, 16 players. It's true that now we have done well and uh, more or less uh, I played with the same 
with the same team, but uh, from the following Saturday, everything is going to change, and all of them are be in, all of them are going to be important for uh, for me and for us because again Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday uh, to travel to Norwich to London so it's gonna be uh, really tough for for everybody and all of them should be should be ready and all of them are gonna need to understand that they will play they won't play because uh, at the end I will try to to find always the best eleven on the on the pitch. Mm. Yeah, you've said quite openly when it's been in press conferences and in interviews, you like a set number of players to be part of your squad. That means you're going to have to have some honest conversations with players. How important is honesty? You've been a player. I'm sure you'd have appreciated managers being honest with you. How important is that to you now as a head coach to be honest with players? I think it's the the key because at the end you have to to work with the, with them and it's impossible to work with them when they are looking at you and they they feel or they yeah they feel that the, you are fooling them. Mm-hmm. So I said always that sometimes I will tell them something that the, they won't like, but at the end I need to be honest and I need to think um, about the the team. So it's impossible to think about individuals because uh, we want to to build a team and uh, to be successful you need a a team no just one or two individuals mm-hmm. absolutely um in terms of your management style gaffer are you into the small details do you appreciate the you know the the little things that all collate to add up to the bigger picture yes but uh, you know i don't know what you mean with the le, little are you the perfectionist details? as a head coach do you want everything to be a certain way and if it isn't then that's where you start to get a little bit Yes, but uh, you know, I think uh, they are the the normal things. So they are not the things like the, we are gonna invent uh, something new. Or yeah. I think it's uh, everything about the respect. So everything about the hard work, and then it's uh, for me uh, is is normal. So for example, in terms of uh, of timings, or if the training start at uh, ten thirty, everybody should be in the pitch at ten thirty. Mm-hmm. If uh, someone is not there. At ten thirty, I'm sorry, but the training the training session is going to start. Mm-hmm. If uh, that uh, kind of things, I am perfectionist. Okay, I am, but uh, you know, I think it's more about the the respect, about the hard work, and to to be together. Do you think it breeds like a winning culture having that kind of element of perfectionism around? Yes, because I think uh, these kind of things uh, make you better. Yeah, and uh, you know, and make you better, and especially make you better thinking about the team. Because when you are arriving to a meeting or to a training session two or three minutes before or at the right time, it means that you care about your uh, teammates. Mm-hmm. When you are arriving late, it's because you don't care about your teammates. So I think it's this kind of uh, respect, and uh, again with the same uh, intensity, we will prepare our meetings, our uh, yes, our training sessions because again at the end I think uh, you need to keep going every day and you have to to show the player that you are uh, and you want more every day have the players met your expectations so far how have the without naming names have they all made sure they're on time yes all of them <laughs> um, yes because uh, they know that they, if they are not on time the the coach will depart, the <laughs> training session will start, the meeting will start. So, again, I think, uh, but the same, if I'm not the, in the coach, the coach will depart. So, again, it's... Nobody's uh, safe. Yeah, no, 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 no. No exceptions because, again, we are a team and uh, we will go together always. <laughs> um, we did say that we like to get to know the people that come on to Blues Talk as a podcast. So, I just want to delve into your background and what makes you the driven, ambitious person that you are. Uh, quite a general question, really. First of all, for me, is what does it mean to be from the Basque region and to represent Athletic Bilbao? 
I said always that uh, I've been really lucky because uh, first and most important thing I I grew up in a in the best family in the world <laughs> I can I can say and you know the the ethic the education the formation that they they give to me my parents my my brother my my sister was uh, was amazing and then when I, when I was uh, 15 I met who today is my my wife and then at the same time I went to to Bilbao and uh, in terms of uh, as a person again my my family my brother my sister my my wife uh, had been and they are uh, vital every day uh, to go to to Bilbao when you are 15 years old make you different because uh, again is the the philosophy the work ethic the team spirit so how how good they uh, drive you as a as a player, as a person, the the codes, the you know the everything. It was important, and then when you mix uh, that the education at home with the formation that they had in in Athletic Bilbao, I think is uh, is amazing. What's the the identity like? There's, there seems to be a proudness about being from the Basque region, and you know you look at the strong sense of community, and there's a spirit there. I see similarities with people from from Birmingham identify themselves closely with hard-working, good work ethic, respect, values. Am I right in saying the similar sort of values there from, from being from the Basque region? Yes, I think uh, we have everything clear. We, we, we know what, uh, what we want. We fight for uh, the things that we, we want. And uh, again, maybe we are not the funniest one. Maybe we are not the friendliest one. But, uh, you know, when uh, you have a friend from the Basque country, you know that you are going to have a friend for all your life. We don't, we don't need to, to sign a paper. Just with the shaking hands, we know that uh, everything has been, has been done. And again, I think it's uh, our, um, our philosophy. And I'm really pleased and really proud of being from there. Can I sort of see the similarities we've been Absolutely, from, yeah. from Birmingham? We know what we are and like you say, we're not maybe the most trendy or flamboyant of well. cities and people out to some, <laughs> but, but yeah, for us, it's at least a, a strong sense of identity of knowing what you are and where mm-hmm. you come from. And I think that can stand you in, in good stead going mm-hmm. forward. What type of player was I talk Aranka? I know you're going to say <laughs> I have to ask other people, but I'm asking yeah. you now. <laughs> no, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think it was uh, try my my best it's true that uh, maybe i i could be more or uh, more aggressive or uh, stronger but you know everybody has his uh, skills and if i had to to say that something that they had to improve in the in the past that maybe i should have been more uh, more aggressive or uh, nice were you too nice? Is it I think so. The people said that I was uh, strong, but I think I was. I should have been a little bit stronger. Nasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but clearly, a very experienced player. When you got to, however many cup finals. I mean, you look at the success that you had at Bilbao, and then to go on to one of the biggest clubs, if not the biggest club. The in... biggest. The biggest. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the world, I just want to read out a statement that I was doing a little bit of research from the current Bilbao manager. He says it's different when you play not just for money, not just to win titles, but we play for our jersey, for our values, from our family and friends. It is something special in the world. As a player, when you represent Bilbao, do you feel that? Do you feel that strong sense of this is more than just a job for me? Yes, and uh, I think it's it's good this question because now I think it's one of the biggest problems that is happening in, with the new generations. And uh, now everybody's uh, much, much uh, 
more concerned about the the first contract or uh, I remember when I signed my my first contract with Athletic Bilbao with a professional team I, uh, I arrived home and it was a, a big big party and nobody cared about the the money yeah. you know my parents didn't ask me about the money I didn't ask him ask my agent about the money because we knew how big situation was uh, for us to to live that I was going to play in in Athletic Bilbao and now everything uh, is different and I think it's a it's a shame because now the new generation are asking for the money asking for the contract before you know uh, before uh, thinking how important mm. for them to play is uh, first yeah the pride of representing the club mm. should yeah. probably come first how does a club like Athletic Bilbao remain competitive when they have the policy of only playing players from the region? You know, 108 years, one of only three clubs to have never been relegated from the top division. How does a club like that, with a small pool of players to choose from, remain competitive? I think the what we were speaking about is about the, how proud we are, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that the to live to live sorry to to wear that shirt is not the is not easy, and you have to fight every single minute. Uh, to to wear it and uh, then when you are wearing it you know how uh, privileged you you are and it's just to to keep fighting to keep uh, growing and and again when you have grown in the in that academy or when you have lived that uh, that culture because i think it's more than a club it's like a a culture everybody cares about the the club in the in the area and uh, for example when when I was uh, when I started my my career, I was uh, 19 years old. So imagine my friends were in the university, and then uh, two or three months later, one friend of mine told me, "Say, told please, can you win the games on 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 Saturday?" I said, "What do you mean? I don't understand." <laughs> Obviously, we want to to win, and uh, he told me no because when you win those uh, those games, the the teachers are really pleased, and when you are losing, the teachers are wow. uh, really sad. And you know, as a teenager, I couldn't imagine that the that club was uh, so important for for everybody. Yeah, sounds like a special club, a special yeah. setup, doesn't it? Connection to the community rather than just to a shirt. Yeah, it's hard to find a similar club here that has mm. that such a strong connection to the community. But what about rivalry? What was the the rivalry like? Obviously, with Sociedad in the the region, the big rivalry with Madrid as well. How did you sort of did you tune into that rivalry? Did you feel it on a match day or the days leading up to a game? Yes, I think uh, they are this kind of. Uh, Games that they are different. Mm-hmm. So when you play against Real Sociedad, is the the biggest uh, rival. You mm-hmm. know, the two cities uh, ninety kilometers from from each other. So I think it's the the game with more uh, rivalry. But uh, it's true that the when you are playing against Real Madrid, is the one of the biggest game in the in the season mm-hmm. because uh, again, Atleti and Real Madrid has are two of the few teams that they never been in. In Segunda División, yeah. so two big clubs, and what can I say about those those clubs? <laughs> <laughs> did you get any criticism moving, or were this? Yes, I had, but uh, again, everybody uh, could. Uh, I could understand the people in in Bilbao, but yeah. uh, again, I came back for five years later, and for me, the 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 feelings and the everything was the the same i again i could understand because again we were when we were so proud of the of the club and i could understand the people who didn't understand mm-hmm. but i came back and again uh, there were people who didn't understand but again uh, the club is above everything mm-hmm. it's not very often we get to talk to people who've 
being at the biggest club in the world. So can you try and explain? I know it's very tough, but <laughs> I'm thinking back to the Nicholas Anelka documentary that came out recently. He said when he walked into Real Madrid, it was like a different animal to anything he'd experienced before. Can you see what he's saying when you have walked in those shoes and, and stepped into such a, uh, a huge cauldron as the Bernabeu is and, and the weight of playing for the biggest, one of the biggest clubs in the world? It's... Uh something that is difficult to to describe because uh, again and I've been really lucky because uh, I I lived that situation as a as a player but you know sometimes as a player you are uh, 25 26 28 years old or 30 30 32 years old and you don't realize how big the club is because uh, you are used to do it mm -hmm. and then um, I was really lucky because in my five years we won three Champions League so for us it was like okay another one another <laughs> one and uh, then you don't realize how difficult and how big the club is and uh, again I was um, and I am really lucky because uh, I had another chance to leave Real Madrid like uh, like assistant and then and then was uh, perfect to to leave and to realize how big the club is because you don't have the pressure of the player you don't have the pressure of the manager mm -hmm. so you are there just in you know, behind the scenes, and yeah. uh, you can realize how how big the club is, and uh, it was a a pleasure to to live those uh, three years because again, those three years it was uh, you are enjoying it when you are a, a player, but again, when you don't have that pressure and you are behind the scenes, you can enjoy it even more. What's the media spotlight like at Real Madrid? Because you you do media duty here, but it's four or five people, two cameras once a week seems quite relatively easy for you what's what's it like the the scrutiny the eyes that are on you at Real Madrid as a player well you know it's uh, has it's, it has changed a lot when uh, when I was there because uh, at the end when I was there it was 20 years ago and, uh, I can't say that the, we were friends of the journalists but yeah. almost because we have a very good relationship they were in the turning round uh, they were waiting for cars so we shared a lot of things uh, our families and now it's completely separated the much more channels, different people podcast so now is has changed a lot but again Real Madrid uh, when you arrive to a press conference of Real Madrid you realize that it's not <laughs> isn't gonna be easy <laughs> is that why you you find these relatively easy here cruise these don't you yeah it's like uh <laughs> no it's, it's good because again I think here uh, I can't uh, live again that the friendly mm. conference uh, press conference because uh, everybody knows each other and yeah. I've been just here for for two months but I can see that everybody wants to help and I know that the again we are in a good position and uh, was they will arrive for sure and again we need to to be together and uh, with the press together is everybody is better for everybody mm -hmm. absolutely i mean we, me and Kyle were talking about some of your teammates at real madrid it's mm. it's quite the list of, of it's the, the instagram players. stories coming back to that <laughs> oh yeah you raised that there was some so who was it so who? when you joined instagram who do we have roberto carlos i think figo was there just, just standard players. Morientes. Oh. Yeah, Morientes. <laughs> I mean, I'm missing a few more as well. Any more? Is that it? Is I don't one? know. Fikir Casillas uh, did. Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. Not bad friends. Not bad five aside. <laughs> Not bad five aside team. Am I right in saying you had a 40 million euro buyout clause when you went back to Bilbao? Sorry. Did you have a 40 million euro buyout clause when you moved back to Bilbao 
in your contract. Is that true? Is that correct? I read that somewhere. I don't know. Maybe I mean, if you did, they rated you quite quite highly. If that was true. I don't know because when when I signed my contract, I never, uh, I was never uh, concerned with the with that clause because yep. I was signing the the uh, the contracts to <laughs> to stay. And it's true that word, for example, when when I signed my my first contract with the Bilbao, the the president gave me two options to to choose the. The close, and I yeah. told him, "Look, whatever you want, because uh, when I am signing this contract, uh, it's because uh, I want to to do it." And yeah. it's true that two years later, Real Madrid arrived and <laughs> they paid the, <laughs> the close. So, but again, I don't I don't remember how much the the close was. <laughs> um, we're going to scoot through the next few questions. But was your second spell at Bilbao different? You were a senior player. You'd had Champions League successes, La Liga success. Did you go back and were you a different player to the player that left? Yes, and uh, was uh, I was different. The, the environment was different. The team was uh, more or less the same. But the following year, the second year, uh, changed a lot. And uh, you know, it's it's not the same when you are uh, when you leave uh, your your club when you are uh, 23, 24, and you arrive 29, 30 with a kid. And you know, it's <laughs> you you are different and uh, less parties, Gaffer. <laughs> No, it's not, it wasn't about the party because uh, I don't like the party. So <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's you are more mature, and then you try to help the young people in the way that the veteran players uh, hadn't done with had mm -hmm. done with uh, with me. So it's uh, I think it was completely different experiences. Mm -hmm. And then a trip to the USA to round things off after four years back at Bilbao. How did that move come about? It was uh, curious because uh, I finished, so I, I was finishing my my contract in Bilbao, and then I I had uh, my ACL, and then I was uh, I wasn't playing at that time, and uh, Colorado, Colorado Rapids were uh, was doing the preseason in in Bilbao, and uh, the coach was uh, from Uruguay. I had a chat with the, with him. My agent told me that if I, if I wanted to. To go, and I said yes because uh, I think my my time in Bilbao had uh, mm -hmm. finished, and uh, at that time uh, my son was four years old, my daughter was uh, six months, and I think it could have been a a good experience for for everybody, and I really enjoyed it. Was it was it as much about the lifestyle as as much as it was the football as well, just to go out and experience life in the U.S. to try something new? Yes, because uh, again, I wanted to live uh, that experience. I wanted for my for my family to live uh, as a as a family, and uh, I wanted to live football without pressure. And uh, MLS at that time uh, it was uh, really nice because uh, the pressure didn't exist, so pff, nobody recognized you on the streets, uh, on the pitch where. Uh, uh, 8,000, 9,000 people, even the media could go to the changing room after the game, so it was a, a really good experience. Yeah, did you feel pressure when taking penalties though for Colorado, or was that okay? I always felt pressure to take the penalties, <laughs> and that one was even worse. <laughs> At least you reached the final though, you got past that semi-final yeah. in the playoffs, which is yeah. good. So, um, Final little segment, I've got some quick-fire questions. Oh, you know everything, eh? Uh, I know, <laughs> do some research. Um, okay, so I'm going to read out a statement. I just want you to tell us which player springs to mind when I say this statement. So, your best friend in football? My best friend uh, can be Bilbao, Oscar Valles and uh, Real Madrid, Fernando Morientes. Okay, who's the born winner? Who was the... born to be a winner out of everybody you've worked with, played with? 
You know, it's difficult because when you've played the, with the, most of them, you know that the, they are winners and they achieve what they want because uh, they 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 are like that. Yeah. So they just think about the win, about win, about win, about mm -hmm. to improve, about anything is uh, is not a, a coincidence. And I can't uh, choose one. one because uh, yeah, all of them were winners. winners. Who's the most naturally gifted player who was born with ability? Ability with the ball, maybe Roberto Carlos. Yeah, Roberto Carlos was the the man who was uh, always before the the games with the ball doing no stupidities, but uh, this tricks, kind of things. Tricks, yeah, tricks, yeah. yeah. Uh, unfil unfulfilled potential. Who had the potential to be the player that they should have been but didn't quite reach the level that they should have? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know because now it's so difficult to to remember one because yeah, I yeah. play with so many. So it's maybe one to think about. We'll come back to that one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, the most intelligent player. Who's the most clever player? I think I could say Raúl because uh, you know I met him when he was uh, 17, and uh, you know if you look at him, you can't say that he's the quickest one. He is in the, he's not the strongest one. He's not the best one in the air. He's not the... But he has everything. He doesn't have anything, but he has everything. everything. So I think when you when you have reached what the Raul has uh, reached is because uh, you are really intelligent. Mm -hmm. uh, who's the life of the dressing room? Life of the changing room? Who brings the energy? Yeah, again, Roberto Carlos, Morientes, Ivan Campo... Yeah, Great personalities. Have, yeah, is that have, important to you that you have those characters in a squad? Yes, and I think the best uh, again the best example is uh, the Champions League that we won in in Paris, because uh, if you look at uh, my time, forget the last uh, three or four, but um, when I left 2002, uh, the nine Champions League, you could see amazing elevens uh, in those. Uh, in those finals, yeah. and if you look at our uh, final, we yeah. were Ivan Campo, we were Ivan Elguera, Morientes, Michel Salgado. So we were friends. Yeah, yeah. We were, I hope, good players. <laughs> but uh, you know, we were friends, and we said a lot of uh, things. And you could see a proper team mm -hmm. uh, winning the the Champions the Champions League. Mm. Can you can you create that now? Your head coach, can you build that, or do you just have to get the right personalities together and hope that that grows? It's. Uh, Obviously, you can you can do it, but you have you should have that personalities and you have quality because uh, you have uh, eleven good friends and uh, you don't have the quality. At least you are playing in the, yeah. <laughs> so you have to to mix both uh, both of them. Uh, who's the most angry player you've came across? Aggressive, angry. Mm, maybe Raul again. <laughs> he pops yeah. up a lot. Yeah, about yeah. Carlos, maybe yeah because uh, again. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe roll again. <laughs> Career highlight. You have so many, but if you had to pick one moment, whether it be a moment, a game, a minute, whatever it might be. Yeah, Paris uh, when when I won when we won the the Champions League because again I think it's the the dream day uh, when the, the the day that you have dream as to win the the Champions League. Cool. I remember I the player who I missed, Guti. Gu uh, Guti. What about him? Where does he fit? As Who could, he quality? could have been 
No, he could have been much. Oh, the potential, yeah, the potential. Yeah, potential. yeah because uh, again, it's a it's a shame that a player like him uh, hasn't played the uh, one minute in one Champions League final, or uh, he hasn't played one uh, Euros or one uh, World Cup, and he was amazing, amazing player. You see some of his passes and highlights mm. on YouTube. Yeah, he, and was he was amazing, and he was the kind of player that when I arrived, I didn't I didn't know him. And uh, you know when I arrived, uh, the squad were Jarro uh, Redondo, Raúl, and uh, Suker Mijatovic, and Roberto Carlos, and Sidorf. And when I arrived, the the one who surprised me was uh, Jose was Guti. Was Guti. What yeah. do you think? There was a reason why he didn't go on to fulfill, or just not. No, I think out? it's the again the the personalities. So he was uh, happy doing what uh, what um, he was doing, and uh, for him was amazing because he played the. Uh, I don't know, 500 games in, in Real Madrid, so it's not easy, but his uh, ability was, was amazing. Yeah. Uh, finally, we have to end on a, on a Birmingham City question. Uh, what does success represent for you this season? Then we've, we've got through the first patch of the, the campaign unbeaten. We now have a week spell, 10-day spell, just to take stock and reflect again. Going into the winter and, and looking further ahead to this year, for you, for you to look back on the first season, what would success look like? It's difficult to say now because uh, again, if uh, I say now to be promotion, no, promotion for sure, no. First I'm not going to tell you promotion <laughs> for for sure. But uh, you know, I don't want to tell you now mid table because uh, maybe again we finished the seventh or eighth, and I said mid table or, or the opposite, mid table, and we finished the low mid table. Yeah. So I prefer to to keep calm to. To keep improving, to keep growing, because again, if uh, we are in this position now, after one month, after playing against, uh, especially three big, big rivals, uh, we are in a in a good way. I hope that we can even improve. Gavra, I could sit here for five hours and talk to you about your career, but I really appreciate the time you've given us today. So thank you very much for being our guest. Thank you, and I, the first time that I missed one question about the Peaky Blinders. Oh. Well, you can talk to us about Peaky Blinders if you want. I thought you were going to say Jose Mourinho. Yeah. I thought we're going to keep Mourinho no. out. No, let's but talk about the Shelby. Let's talk about If you've got time, I'm more than happy to no, talk I about Peaky Blinders. Next time we're going to speak about it. Okay, that's a deal. But that's a promise. We've got a next time there. Absolutely. Yeah. Gavin, yeah. thanks again. Thank, Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. You know what, Dale? I mean, we were there for a while. We could have sat there for hours and hours listening to the guffer. When you look at his career alone, like we said before, what he's achieved in Spain, the fact that clearly, you know, the, the whole Bilbao story, I find quite amazing. The whole the Basque region, they mm. only play players um, that are from the, the region. is so unique in itself. The connections to British football days, I didn't realise they were as, as strong as they are. They've had former British managers that were founded, founded by, by a Brit. Yeah. Founded by a Brit. So um, I think I found my new favourite Spanish team, actually. You're an athletic club fan now. Yeah, I might be, yeah. Get yourself yeah. down to the Basque region. I know. Right. Let's talk about face number 10 through the door, the Scorpion King, which is a, I mean, it's a hell like of a name. moniker to have, isn't like it? Name. Yeah, Riley McCree. Uh, yeah, it was one that completely took, I mean, all of us by surprise. Um, 21 years old, comes highly recommended from the A-League. I mean, make of the standard there what you will, but to have a player who comes with bags of potential, got him for the season obviously we announced that he's off to Charlotte um, mm -hmm. on a permanent but for us to have him for the year is another attack attacking midfield option clearly scores goals I think he scored a hatful um, last year for Adelaide yep. so yeah exciting one I mean it, we can't sit here and pretend we know how good or I've not actually he's going got to, to be yeah we have to just wait and see 
how good he is, what level he's actually up to, but mm -hmm. um, he adds another option to the ranks. And we've, we've already mentioned how crazy the fixture list is, so mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's another player to come into the fold. Listen, we might know much about him, but I don't think it's a bad thing that half of the A-League fans are raving about how, how talented he is. He's shown that. And you can talk about standard of opposition all you want, but that goal... I mean, yeah. you need talent. Yeah, uh, goal scoring midfielder, isn't he? But everyone will know him from, I mean, as soon as his name is Google, that's the, the biggest mm -hmm. hit that comes up is that ridiculous finish. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't want to take anything away from him. 99 times out of 100, it ends up... That doesn't come off. ...in, in row Z, doesn't it? He's just fl he's flung out his leg behind him and it's hit his heel and just fell beautifully over the keeper. But he still has to improvise. Like, well, I don't want to do the goal down at all. But, um, yeah, it's... It, if he does nothing else for the rest of his career and that's all he's remembered for, he'd probably take it. I want to get you up to the dome here at Wastels now yeah, to, to have that. a go. I'll try a hundred times and see <laughs> how many go in. Right, let's talk, Dale, about how I think compressed is the word you've used. This fixture calendar gets after the international break. Let me just run you through like the next three or four weeks. We come back, Sheffield Wednesday on the Saturday. Tuesday, you'll like this one. Tuesday night, Norwich away. Lovely. Good fun. Uh, QPR away the Saturday after that. Tuesday, uh, we've got Huddersfield at St Andrews Trillion Trophy Stadium. And then we close off October with a nice little Halloween. And you can make your own jokes about this trip. Preston away. I mean... Ugly. Ugly. <laughs> uh, this is the championship. And this is, uh, a, a, like we say, a, a unique season where we are four weeks short than we usually would be. So I don't think October will be the only month where this obviously happens. No. Five games, like we say, in two weeks is a bit of a crazy one. And this is where squads really get tested. The ground gets heavy. It gets cold. So, you know, some of the foreign lads that come in, how do they adapt to the to the harsh winter that we get? The um, the hectic fix, fixture schedule, you know, by the time you've recovered from a Tuesday fixture or a Wednesday fixture, you're back in it again. It's Friday, Saturday, and you've got another game. Um, and, you know, we're going to drop points this year. Make no bones about it. You know, I'd love us to go the whole season unbeaten. It's been a great start. But there's going to be games where tiredness does kick in. But that's why I think the Gaffer's done the right thing. He's building a squad. This isn't about your first 11. He's looking to the bench. And I think there will be players that don't get in a match day squad. Yeah. Um, that, that could do in, in other championship teams. So... I think it's the only way you go about this year is you not stockpile players because they have to be quality, but make sure you've got the numbers to cope with what's to come. You talk about tough fixtures. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday coming here off the back of the international break on their quest to get to positive points. Mm. That's as tough as they come in the championship, isn't it? Yeah, you know, still consider themselves a big club at this level, don't they, mm -hmm. with their following and their history. So, um, you know, they'll always want to be in and around the playoff shake-up. Last year was obviously a, a crazy one for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with points deduction starting this season, some may feel they got away with it last year because am I right in saying they'd have been relegated? They would have been, yeah. yeah. So, you know, we had a, had to take our points deduction. Theirs has obviously been been put off to the start of this season. But what would you rather start on? I mean, you're already on, like you say, you're on a negative footing before you, a ball's kicked. So mm -hmm. they have they have ground to make up. They'll want to reach that that zero points mark as quick as they can. So. And there's no easy games. It's very cliche. But, you know, you look at the Rotherham game. It's not as if everybody earmarks Rotherham as the easier one mm -hmm. of the first month. Well, actually, they Absolutely provide... Absolutely not. Tough, apart from the gaffer. You know, again, all that experience. Apart from the gaffer, from his press conference, he said this would be the... Yeah, he might be like looking at his players and trying to, and trying to make sure that they're motivated for it. But it proved to be true. So you cannot afford to go into any game expecting to win. And I don't think we'll be doing that against I Sheffield. I think it's remiss, isn't it, to write teams off based on ability in this league. It ain't about the level of quality a team brings because mm. they all bring different dimensions. Of, yeah, you know, absolutely. Strengths. Well, you, I, couldn't, 
completely agree because you look at Brentford and Swansea, very different challenges to mm-hmm. Rotherham. So then you've got in the mind frame, back-to-back games, right, we're not going to have a lot of the ball. We have to be well-disciplined, make sure we defend properly. If you take that into the first half against Rotherham, a game where you're at home, you're the favourites for the first time this season, you're expected to take the game to them. You can't just flick a switch. So they came and made it difficult for us, credit to them. You'd expect them to do that wherever they go this year. Uh, they'll take every point they can get on the road. Um, so ultimately, like you say, you have to take each team on the merits and what the challenges they offer. Big, horrible, direct team like Rotherham would be very different to slick Brentford. Mm-hmm. And yet, we ended up winning the game against Brentford and only you know, having to settle for a draw against Rotherham. So nothing's given in the, in the champ. Blues women, we spoke about last time, made it to an FA Cup semi-final. I think desperately unlucky in terms of the scheduling of fixtures. I mean... After going the distance, winning on penalties in your quarterfinal to then play, what was it, three days later against yeah. a very, very good Everton, Everton side, rather. Carla was um, was really open and honest mm. about her opinion on the scheduling, wasn't she? Pre-game, she was. You know, she spoke to the press and I, I can't remember what adjective she used, but clearly disgusted at the fact that, you know, they just managed to get through on penalties, done all of that put all that effort in, expended all that energy and then expected to play in the semi-final, one of the biggest... You know, cup ninety minutes from Wembley in football to go and then play a well fancied uh, Everton side with all of their players. I mean, they're bringing on French internationals off the bench mm-hmm. and clearly on the night. I mean, we we doing our best to keep them at bay, um, but ultimately that first goal was a cruel one just before half time, and then you have to go in search of scoring. I think we needed to score first on the night for us to have any chance. And you know, the game gets stretched in the second period. The little deflection goes up and over the crossbar is probably the closest we can. Yeah, so. Claudia Walker. Yeah, sometimes you have to, you know, give credit to Everton. Clearly a very good side, well fancied this year in WSL. So good luck to them. It's just a shame we couldn't quite, you know, take that step closer. It'd been great to get to a cup final. It did show, didn't it, that fatigue towards the end. I mean, that third goal, long ball over the top and yeah. the girls were shattered. Especially when you're defending for large parts of a game. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been, you've been shuffled from one side to another on a pitch. You're then having to squeeze up when you can. You're putting your body on the line um, it just I think in the in the later stages of games that's when good teams make it count you know you look at the good the Man United team that was so dominant how many late get how late goals they scored you look at title winning teams mm-hmm. they score late on because they wear you down it's that attritional effect that you have and so we just couldn't sustain doing that for as long as we were required to 90 minutes on the night and couldn't quite create enough goal scoring opportunities to get us in the game I just want to talk before we wrap up about Blues TV um so we put an article out last week, record viewing figures. Of course, the weird situation that we're in. Great to see people, you know, showing support for the club in essentially the only way you can now watch games. And I think we're, uh, I don't know, I think we're quite pleased with how things are going. Mate, absolutely. <laughs> I th- for me, it's great that people are supporting us. Of course, there was a big push for Blues TV. Now that supporters can't be in the stadium, like we keep mentioning, the only place you can watch it is on, on the club's channels. And I think we're trying to add to that pool of talent we use. Um, Ollie Klinker commentators come on board alongside Jonathan Bell so I'm happy with standard of commentary we're providing now our pre-match show we can always look to add and increase what we do there but a match day coverage I think now is good so we've got to a level where hopefully supporters enjoy our coverage we're getting some good results to go alongside it which always Does help. helps yeah always helps that we're showing something that's worth watching um, and I think we can only look to build on it now because you know we still do not know when supporters are going to be allowed back into stadiums so we've got to make sure that the product that we offer supporters is as close to the real thing as we can get I'm going to test you now. Who's on commentary for the uh, Sheffield Wednesday game? That is a good test. <laughs> yeah, I think Paul Tate may be with us. Uh, I'll have to have a double check of the schedule. I think Tate 
and purse, I'm going to say, in, I think in, you're right, in you reverse know. roles. To I think you're were. right. And the most important thing is it's available for £10 pay-per-view on bcfc.com. So please do subscribe. Uh, international subscribers, if you've got a subscription, it's included in your package. But, yeah, if you can, £10 pay-per-view live on Blues TV. Uh, I think that's all we've got time for. You got anything else you want to... No, good international break. Let's just get ready to... I mean, it's going to be thick and fast. Um, like we say, the amount of, of games in October alone is going to be crazy. But hopefully we can just build on this now. Mm. I think the big balance to be struck is let's be hard to beat, but can we nick games? Can we go and turn a point into three? If you can't win it, of course, take your point. But the next challenge will be... I mean, getting Jonathan Lico back fit will be good. Uh, Josh McEachran, obviously nearer as well. Mm-hmm. So we still have, you know, bodies coming in. Transfer window. Uh, still got a week. Up. Yeah, so the domestic transfer window. Wait and see if there's any more bodies to come through the door. I mean, the gaffer spoke openly about wanting to trim numbers. He likes to have a set number of players out on the training pitches. So don't like players sitting here picking up money and not training or not playing. Um, feels it's better for both parties if they move on. So I'd imagine we're going to see some leave as well as whether he wants to bring any more faces in. So, you know, how many different ways can you um, can you announce a transfer as being well, tested ten down. to the max yeah, this, uh, this summer? But I think we've accidentally put the pressure on ourselves, haven't we? I mean, some of the videos we put out, the San Jose one, I mean, you've given credit to young Joe Pickering very in the Blues TV team. Yeah, it's very different. So we'll have to see. I mean, we, it may well be that our work's done. We don't know yet as we sit here. So Absolute let's, tease. Uh, let's wait and see. Listen, we're speaking on the Wednesday. We could have signed someone in between this and the podcast yeah. going out. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, in the meantime, that is about all we've got time for. I've been Colin Denning. I've been Dal Moon. This has been the Blues Talk Podcast. The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning.